Greetings, greetings, greetings. Hello, my fellow metalheads. Welcome once again to Here Lies Metal, the podcast that brings you the origins, history, and culture of everything metal. I am your host, Maledictus, and I will be your overlord for today and all of eternity. Before we begin this episode, I've decided to do the news. Yes, I think this show could be a little more uh, topically informative and informative in present day rather than telling you events of metal that have to do with the past. Let's go over things that are going on right now in metal that all the metal sites are covering. Since they generally all copy off each other, I'm going to do the same. I'm just going to read what I saw on social media and I'm going to repeat it to you in my opinion. Here we go. Now, these are a few stories that the metal media has been at large covering this week. And if you haven't heard them already, you're going to get the maledictin spin on these particular stories. So let's go into my news voice. <clears throat> In sad news, Fast Eddie Clark of Motorhead has died at the age of 67. Clark was a member of the classic Motorhead lineup, but left the band in 82 because he wasn't pleased with Motorhead's decision to uh, have a collaboration with the punk band, The Plasmatics. Now, if you know who The Plasmatics are, they feature a singer by the name of Wendy Williams, who was known for exploding school buses and doing her own stunts and chopping things up with chainsaws. It was basically the coolest things I've ever seen that she did. I think it was only right for someone like Motorhead to get involved with someone like her. But I guess Fast Eddie had his morals and he wanted to stay true to his course and the Plasmatics were not part of that course. So we have to respect his decision for leaving Motorhead at that time. Um, Eddie went on to form a band called Fast Way with bassist Pete Way of UFO. Uh, but that's another story. Rest in peace, Eddie. Back to my news voice. Nurgle of the Polish death metal band Bohemoth, uh, Behemoth? Bohemoth is once again under fire by the Polish government, this time for a t-shirt design. This controversial shirt in question portrays the Polish White Eagle coat of arms adorned with inverted crosses rather than upright crosses. And actually in the nation of Poland, this is a criminal offense to uh, degrade or defile the Polish national symbol. And I think that's generally a thing in Eastern Europe. They take offense to insulting their uh, nationhood. Uh, I believe, in fact, in Russia, if you're a a band that promotes Satanism or pretends to promote Satanism, they can actually throw you in jail or throw you out of the country. I believe it happened with uh, Nile and uh, that band from Switzerland, whatever they're called. And uh, I can imagine this image would also be considered blasphemous to the predominantly Catholic um, shithole of a nation like Poland. And Nurgle was actually under fire once many years ago in 2010 by Polish authorities for tearing up a Bible. Uh, I guess he went on stage and tore up a Bible in Poland, and this is also against the law in the shithole country of Poland. Uh, so I think someone like Nurgle, in my opinion, probably needs some attention. I mean, hey, he wants to tear up a Bible, that's fine. But I think someone like that is trying a little too hard. He hasn't done anything that someone lame like Marilyn Manson hasn't done. I mean, so Nurgle, you know, good. <laughs> Grow up, man. You're not that bad. Moving on. Um, in more Polish news, uh, rape and kidnapping charges against the band Decapitated, Decrapitated 
um, have been dropped uh, due to a lack of evidence, uh, not necessarily because they were acquitted. Um, I've been reading social media on this subject, and it seems like a lot of people are are victim-blaming and claiming that Decapitated was wronged and totally innocent and should have their revenge countersue and so on, and the victim should be punished, or the apparent victim should be, the alleged victim should be punished. However, the fact of the matter is this trial did was acquitted because there was not enough evidence. So it doesn't mean anyone was innocent or guilty. It means they simply could not pursue the trial due to lack of evidence. So I think uh, it would be uh, best uh, for decapitation, decapitation, to uh, go back to their shithole country with Nurgle. I'm kidding. I love Polish food. It's not a shithole country. It's just, you know, it's topical. Sorry. There's just this certain tweet-happy uh, leader of a nation that keeps using that word. And uh, now we're going to get ready for the actual podcast, the actual subject of this podcast, which um, is apparently the era of new wave British heavy metal. So here we go. Welcome to the music era that laid down the concrete foundation upon the dirt hole gouged out by pioneer ditch diggers like Black Sabbath. So don your denim, lace up your leather, and patch your battle vests, you mothers. Mothers are, by the way, what they used to call metalheads back then for some reason. It's a British thing. I don't really understand it. But that's the terminology. I'm trying to make you live in the moment. Anyway, it's time for new wave British heavy metal or bands that were formed after Black Sabbath and before Metallica that aren't exactly all British. Here we go. New Wave British Heavy Metal, a term coined by the music journalist named Jeff Barton in 1979, with songs and lyrics so rife with escapist themes and perhaps a bit more accessible to people than punk rock, metal was about to be reborn as the new sound of the youth rebellion as well next to punk rock, one might say. And there are a lot of reasons for this. With such a bleak post-war existence in England after World War II, and where in a country, where in a shithole country, where jobs were so hard to come by and austerity was in full effect, the homegrown sounds of minimalist punk rock and the new wave of music, new wave post-punk, were not exactly the answer for the future generation of metal bands. It's not exactly the feel they were looking for. They couldn't really relate to it. They were coming from a different place. One of the main ingredients of the formation of metal and great music in general was the fact that England was such a shithole after World War II. Think about it. Don't you think the best music comes out of harsh times? You would think maybe today we're going to have some really good music based on the political situation. You think maybe this might yield some great music for the future. We'll see. Maybe we'll have the next legend formed in these years. Now, metal in the late 70s would serve as an alternative to the punk rock. Despite a minority of metal bands being heavily inspired by punk, uh, bands such as Motorhead, Venom, and even early Iron Maiden could really... Um, their sound might not fall too far from the punk rock sound. And some bands embraced that, like Motorhead, whereas Iron Maiden tried to eventually move away from that sound. They wanted nothing to do with it. Why the division with punk, though? Why the, the great rift between punk and metal at their beginnings, at their roots? 
you think they would unite against the authority that they hated that would that was culturally oppressing both of these groups. Well, did you ever meet a punk rocker that wasn't full of themselves? You know, kind of like a hipster, like in the way they're, they might be like, uh, hey, you know, what are you listening to? It's like, oh, you never heard of it. That kind of thing. You know the feeling. That's what punk rockers always felt like to me, like trying to be exclusive, trying to really uh, make their own elitist organization. I always felt that about punk rockers. All these kids found themselves alienated from the establishment together. So they made their own establishment, and it ended up being as equally as exclusive as the establishment. Look how brilliant and ice we all are. Oh, oi, what am I listening to? Don't worry, you never heard of him. Bagger all. Sounds familiar. No matter how underground punk rock tried to be, the edge and style factor just made them more desirable in the eyes of the music press and popular culture. Despite the punk hipster of the day claiming that big rock was dead, bands like, say, Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple, uh, the almighty guitar solo strived and lived on. Despite the decline of the first wave bands like Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, the big rock sound was far from dead. Uh, this would be, this era of new wave British heavy metal would be a new and more accessible scene to regular people as opposed to the previous era of rock where you didn't have to be an arena band to have a massive sound. This was an era of dad metal. If your dad was cool, of course. M mine wasn't. I can't imagine my dad was any into any of this music in the 70s. Now, to clear it up, new wave of British heavy metal era was an era rather than a genre, in my opinion. Some people try to associate bands that occurred during this time as a type of music, and it simply isn't. There are many genres that make up new wave British heavy metal. This would be a defining error in the formation of all metal music that we have today. It was a turning point, and it was also a focal point. Metal could have faded out here, but instead, metal built a massive stone fortress upon that foundation we mentioned before a fortress that still stands tall to this day. Many new paths were also realized during the era. No matter what road the bands here would take, some would thrive on this new MTV about to occur. Others would remain underground only to be involuntarily uprooted by an industry and ultimately celebrated as legends today, such as Metallica or Iron Maiden. Some bands normalized metal, others inspired a more aggressive sound, and yet others glammed it up and smiled for the camera. A few others stayed and remained guardians of the flame ignited by their forefathers a decade earlier, yet paving the way for a sound that still burns today. One interesting flaw that I always found the mushed-mouth acronym of New Wave British Heavy Metal, if you wanted to pronounce it out phonetically, you might sound something like nub now, the part of this acronym that I didn't like was the B, the British part. Yes, most of these bands were from England, say about 95% of them, but certainly not all of them. So I have to give credit to the bands that were from America or Europe. You had Riot and Sirith Ungle, two legitimate um, bands of that era. They were from America. You had Anvil and Exciter, two more legitimate bands from Canada. And you had Merciful Fate from Denmark and you had Accept from Germany and so on. So it wasn't all about England. I just want to make that clear. Some of these bands were fortunate enough to find success early on in their careers. 
albeit temporary for many of them. But the heavies such as Saxon, Iron Maiden, and Motorhead, Judas Priest, and even Def Leppard, and yes, they were considered part of the scene, still exist today. Some of them flying around their own airliners, others on highly successful overpriced tours as nostalgia acts, or as openers for those tours. Others, such as Motorhead, sadly succumb to the elements of rock and roll, yet leaving a massive statuesque monument to rock and roll in the wake of their departure. I think people will always remember someone like Motorhead, even though they sort of are proto-new wave British heavy metal. They're before the era, but they inspired a lot of metal music, even though they technically weren't even a metal band, according to Lemmy, and I would take his word for it. They were revered by every metal band, so that's why they are so important in this list. On the flip side, many of the underground acts exist and even tour at present day in one incarnation or another as a result of the praise and the credit received from the few monolithic metal millionaires, many of which transcended to the greater mainstream as their fans have all grown up, cut their hair, got jobs, and raised families. Again, an example would be Metallica or Megadeth or Anthrax. You could consider those bands normalized today, and they, of course, pay homage to their roots, keeping this era alive. Sadly, and all too predictably in metal, some once revered bands from the scene that might have been the leaders of the era and the scene are reduced to headlining small bars and clubs in Clifton, New Jersey, or Long Island. However, one thing was clear, the foundational sound of new wave of British heavy metal era is still with us today, and it's the reason why we're here talking. It's why you hear my voice and why I'm talking to you and why here lies metal. In addition to setting the bar for what metal would be from the late 70s onward, New wave of British heavy metal music was more than a movement of music or a movement of bowels to many people, but it was a cultural revolution. New wave of British heavy metal came along not only with a rebellious and self-destructive assault aimed at the sneering faces of an out-of-touch establishment, primarily of British origin, but laid down the framework of metal as a actual fashion in a legitimate subculture. Yes, we're talking metal fashion. Who would ever thought that we would get into such details? We get into every detail here at Here Lies Metal. We want to cover everything metal, and that includes silly fashions. It was all about leather, denim, battle vests, spikes, and chains! Like the Man of War song, or like a leather bar. You get it. But metal bands have developed a strict dress code. Metal pioneering frontmen preceding this era, guys like Ozzy or Gillen or Linet or even Halford in his early days, dressed up like typical rock stars. Bright colors, fringes, tights, open-chested shirts. However, by the late 70s, much of the style associated with this era appeared to be heavily borrowed by the parallel punk rock scene. However, it is a well-established theory that the S&M fashion wardrobe of Judas Priest frontman Rob Halford can be credited with the establishment of the mainstream metal look from the era well into the 80s. Ironically, a few mothers of the hyper-masculine and openly homophobic scene actually contemplated the origins of Rob's flamboyant leather and spike get-ups. The average mother saw this as super macho biker persona, and what could be more metal than that? The true origins of metal apparel 
best be left in the dark for some people. But on the less glamorous side of the catwalk, some of the era's more gritty acts, such as Motorhead and Venom, might take credit for the established bullet belt, boots, and denim that would also be popular in the thrash scene to come. Ultimately, the era of new wave of British heavy metal, despite being the foundation of what metal became, was also the first divisive rift in the many dramatically different directions that lied ahead for metal music. As our playlist spins today, you'll notice that much of the bands included, despite their contemporary parallels, are progressing the previous generations of bands while others are trailblazing a new sound that would only grow into the next decade. This is a focal point where metal will establish many more bloodlines for the next generation of legends to follow. This era is probably one of the most exciting events to occur for metalologists like myself and others. Basically, you get to draw a lot more lines from here on and make more connections between bands. It's really the most important point in metal, in my opinion. It's like one of those events in time that change everything. A few examples of genre-defining bands that would find their origins in this movement might include Witchfinder General and Pagan Altar. Two bands keeping true to the old Sabbath ways where the real Black Sabbath at the time was no longer interested in following. Officially established as the Doom genre, which still goes strong today. Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, on the other hand, would go on to be mega metal bands with their own airliners, some of them. Uh, they might be credited for establishing an ambiguous genre I like to call just metal. Uh, for it's essentially metal at the purest form, in the most primitive form, free of politics and pretentiousness. Acts such as Def Leppard, and yes, they qualify in this era as metal, Riot and Raven, they might be given some credit in paving the glittery and neon-signed speedway littered with wrecked Ferraris that would become hair metal. Def Leppard would gain a superstar status in the 1980s as an example of one of the most visible hair bands, while the other mentioned acts couldn't adapt to this new thing they called MTV. MTV simply wasn't for ugly dudes. Uh, unless, of course, you were as cool as Rick Ocasek, then MTV was okay. Darker and more aggressive bands like Angel Witch, Holocaust, Diamond Head, Motorhead, and ultimately Metallica, Merciful Fate, and Slayer would lead to more faster and aggressive paths like thrash, death metal, and ultimately black metal. Now, it's time to take a journey back to the late 1970s, free of computers and cell phones, when heavy metal parking lot was a regular occurrence, and you used to actually have to leave the house to meet people and answer your phone when they would call. Well, I guess it wasn't that good, because I don't really like answering my phone these days. That's one thing we've progressed as, as a human race. Um, anyway, let's let the playlist begin. Action. Now, let's bring it back to an exciting time when hanging out in your bedroom with friends with a joint and some shitty Schlitz beer, listening to your favorite records meant a good Friday night. I always imagine what it would be like for myself to be my age back then and what I'd be doing. Hopefully I'd be doing just that, even though I'd be 40. So that's probably what I would be doing, knowing me. Now, we'd start with records like this one. This is Thin Lizzy. The song is called Johnny from the Johnny the Fox album. Now, you probably know Thin Lizzy, but we'll go into a little bit of history about them. They were formed by Phil Lynott and Brian Downey in Ireland, in Ireland, back in the late 60s. 
they started as more of a folky band, a very Irish folky band inspired by guys like Van Morrison and whatnot. However, they would eventually um, progress into a more hard rock sound as time went on, adding more guitar players by the likes of Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, who gave us that guitar harmony sound that you might hear uh, pretty commonly in bands such as Metallica and Iron Maiden. That sound you get, or that Iron Maiden machine gun beat sound, that's Thin Lizzy. They're the ones that gave us that sound. And even though they were never a metal band, they were always on the edge. And a band like Thin Lizzy was always considered a one-hit wonder, probably due to the 1976 album with the, the Boys Are Back in Town. I think that's the song that got the most radio airplay. However, they have such an amazing catalog of great songs that anyone who knows anything about metal is deeply into. So we'll always give Thin Lizzy credit for being one of the pioneering bands in all metal today, and one of the most important bands, and one of the most underrated bands. And we always remember Phil Lynott as one of the greatest people in rock and roll, a bass player and a vocalist and a black Irishman. And I, I don't mean a black Irishman, I mean a black Irishman. Uh, so he must have had a tough life. And when you have a tough life, good music comes out of it. And Phil Lynott was proof of that. Uh, unfortunately, he was taken from us in 1986 due to heroin problems. But that is um, the end of many a great rock star. So this song, once again, is called Johnny. And it's got a lot of elements that might have influenced new wave British heavy metal as well as mellow metal to follow, as that goes with many Thin Lizzy songs. This might have been the first Thin Lizzy album that where we see their first indications of their hard rock sound as opposed to the albums before which were a little more folky but all the same good uh whiskey in a jar that might be an example of some of their earlier stuff which is still a pretty good song but more folky than hard rock let's move on this next band by the name of budgie is called homicidal suicidal from the debut album of budgie called budgie budgie by budgie uh, Budgie was a Welsh power trio fronted by bassist and vocalist Burke Shelley. One might consider them like a combination of Rush and Black Sabbath with Burke's Getty Lee-like vocals and bass playing, possibly far less progressive than Rush and a little more harder-edged. Budgie, nevertheless, was a rather obscure band made popular by a number of covers, a number of bands covering their songs, especially by Metallica covering their song Crash Course and Brain Surgery on their Garage Days Re-Revisited album. Budgie is one of those underrated bands that have a major influence in what metal is. And they're a band that just never made it it seemed like they just had bad luck for making such good songs. They just never got the recognition they deserved. I think the song was released in 1972, which is a pretty early version of post-Sabbath metal, taking metal to another step. It's funny how, with a title like that, maybe this song never got any heat back then, not that I'm aware of. Makes you wonder if they might accuse a band like this of having subliminal message that might cause some kids to blow their heads off with shotguns but maybe they were a little more maybe they were a little more reasonable back then and 
there wasn't a, a an atmosphere of paranoia and terror in uh, reaction to uh, rebellious music that your kids are listening to. Nevertheless, uh, Budgie's a band worth listening to. They have a very elaborate and dynamic catalog, which gets more metal as they go on. Next, we have Richie Blackmore's prophetic vision of metal. This song, titled Stargazer from the Rising album, is one of the best examples of metal, of a metal band that we have in the 70s. And why is that? Well, let's talk about Rainbow. As you know, Richie Blackmore was the guitar player and founder of Deep Purple, possibly one of the first steps into metal beyond Black Sabbath. It was also the first commercial introduction of a little guy by the name of Ronnie James Dio. But before this, Ronnie James Dio was in a band called Elf. And Elf was not a very well-known band, but they were discovered by Richie Blackmore, and he knew talent when he saw it. And Richie Blackmore probably decided not to be mean to Ron James Dio, and recruited him into forming his own new band by the name of Rainbow, which seemed to have a lot of references to The Wizard of Oz for some reason. But maybe we'll get into that another day. Uh, originally, uh, Blackmore had recruited most of the members of Elf, but after a while, I think just grew tired of him and only kept Dio, and in typical Richie Blackmore fashion. However, they would form a band featuring other major players in feature metal, such as keyboardist Don Airy, drummer Cozy Powell, and bass player Bob Daisley, who would all go on to be legends in their own right, as obviously you know of Cozy Powell as one of the most influential drummers and influential beat masters in metal. You always know a Cozy Powell beat when you hear one. Uh, as you know, Don Airy, who is currently in Deep Purple today, is basically the keyboard guy of metal. Metal doesn't involve too many keyboards. When you think of keyboards in metal, Don Airy comes to mind. Of course, you have the infamous Bob Daisley, who recorded the bass lines on Ozzy Osbourne's first album, Blizzard of Oz, who gives you a pretty unmistakable bass sound. He also wrote most of the album. But let's move on. The words and music of a band like Rainbow, with uh, Richie Blackmore's classically inspired guitar riffs that have moved to a step beyond the purple lyrics, fantastic tales told by Dio. Uh, I don't think we know what most Dio lyrics are about, but he sings of fantastic lands that captivate nerds and headbangers alike. This song particularly, I always interpreted this song as being about the building of the Tower of Babel by some fictional wizard who gets to the top and realizes there's nothing and falls to the ground and now these slaves are like, where do we go? The wizard's dead. I don't, I don't really know. I guess we'll just go home. Usual magic by Dio. He is the master of wizards and demons. And it's a shame that this band had to end, uh, this lineup had to end due to Richie Blackmore being Richie Blackmore. But that's another story. So literally, it's another podcast. Let's move on. And the next band we have are a group of space and time travelers by the name Hawkwind. This song is called Motorhead. It's off the Warriors on the Edge of Time album. And it might be sang by a guy who formed a band called Motorhead after he was let go from this band. And yes, and that's Lemmy. There's no doubt about it that Hawkwind, being more of a spacey psychedelic band, 
with a lot of synthesizers have an important part in the formation of the new wave British heavy metal era, which would follow this. Hawkwind are from space, and they did a lot of acid to get there. Uh, this was a band fronted by a guy named Dave Brock, and this is a band that is responsible for launching the career of their most famous and successful member by the name of Lemmy. Like I said, Lemmy would go on to form Motorhead and use this song on their first album, a very different version of this song. But nevertheless, I, I saw an interview of Lemmy and how he was speaking of getting fired from this band. And basically what this band used to do when they would fire you is they wouldn't just, you know, tell you. They wouldn't be like, hey, uh, sorry, you gotta get out of the band. They were more like, um, a little bit more passive aggressive about it. And basically they left Lemmy in a hotel in Detroit with no money or supplies or anything. and. He basically had to find his way back to England from a probably even scarier version of Detroit than we have today. That must have been really interesting. And yet Lemmy held no grudge against them. He kind of just laughed it off and was like, hey, you know, look at me and look at them. You know, like, good luck, guys. Hawkwind is a very interesting band with a very dynamic catalog. Most of their songs don't sound very metal, but I'm going to give, I'm going to put them on this list because of their interaction with Lemmy. Let's move on. Next we have UFO with their song Rock Bottom from the Phenomenon album. Uh, this was a song that gave us the wild guitar riff for the time this came out. This came out, I would say, 1972-73, the Phenomenon album. This is pretty ahead of its time for guitar work. Uh, far more interesting than anything Tony Iommi would play. Uh, super guitar player, uh, Michael Shanker, who would go on to help form the Scorpions, had a style that might inspire the typical metal super guitar player. I I'm giving these guys a place on this list for really taking that to a level beyond Jimmy Page or beyond Tony Iommi. This guy was the really the first uh, coke-fueled wild guitar player that would serve as a model from that time well into the 80s, only to be perhaps stomped out by the grunge era. And then, of course, reborn again. You can't destroy the lead guitar. You can't destroy the wild guitar player, and Michael Schenker is that guy. This guy never ages. Have you seen him today? I mean, he looks like he's still... I don't know. It's like he does, like, reverse cocaine or something, or he gets younger. I don't know. Maybe it's plastic surgery. He can still play his ass off. Michael Schenker. Uh, UFO to get into some detail about the actual band, they go back to the early days of the first uh, indications of metal, to the Black Sabbath days, which a much lighter, more rock and roll sound when they started. They were formed by a guy, by a vocalist, Phil Moog. And they, as time went on, they eventually developed a more aggressive sound in unison with the bands around them. And they turned out to be a pretty influential metal band. And of course, uh, one of the most prolific guitar rock bands. The next group of tracks are the pioneer bands that predate the new wave British heavy metal scene, yet powered the scene and even participated in the scene as rock and roll veterans that everyone could look up to. This next song is titled Dissident Aggressor from Judas Priest. It is on the Sin After Sin album. Now, Judas Priest, of course, is a band that has achieved epic status in present day. But let's go back to the beginning of Judas Priest. 
They were formed in the shithole city of Birmingham, like many other bands, such as Black Sabbath and even Duran Duran. Basically, a shitty city like that probably yields good music. That's been proven, as there are so many great bands from that, that shithole city. There's no doubt that the band Judas Priest is a symbol of standard metal, and all metal at large. However, their style had gone through a significant evolution over the years. Their first album, Rockarola, released in 1974, had more of a bluesy Sabbath sound rather than the trademark metal sound that Judas Priest made so popular. As time went on, they got more metal, one might say. One might give Judas Priest credit for 16th note bass drum runs. Uh, that's debatable, of course. Also, wailing vocals. There weren't too many singers that had a style like Rob Alford. You might say Ian Gillen had a bit of a wail to his voice, but by the way, you won't recognize this song from Slayer's South of Heaven album. They wisely and respectfully covered it. As the band progressed past the new wave British heavy metal era, where Judas Priest served as a benchmark to all bands at the time, Judas Priest sought mainstream success throughout the 80s and used MTV for that purpose. Judas Priest made a lot of videos. Uh, they changed their sound over the years. They even are guilty of a heavy use of synthesizers in the Turbo album, which really isn't that bad. Now, in music nerd facts, Judas Priest actually goes back to 1969, so they might be contemporaries black, with Black Sabbath, but they didn't really break out until 1974 with their first album, Rockarola. Actually, bassist Ian Hill is the only original member left of the band from 1969, and probably is, would be credited for forming the band. Rob Halford wouldn't join them until 1974. But one thing's for sure, Judas Priest has stood the test of time as the premier metal band. You could put them up in this grand pantheon along with Iron Maiden, Dio, and Ozzy Osbourne. Judas Priest falls under the category of what I like to call just metal, similar to Iron Maiden. Uh, there's no question about it that Judas Priest really set the tone for all metal to come. On tour to this very day with a new album coming out this year, keeping the flames burning till they die. All hail. Next we have uh, a guy, the result of a guy we were talking about before by the name of Lemmy. Now it's his turn. It's his turn to rise. And this song is actually a Hawkwind song that Lemmy may or may not have stolen uh, by the name of Lost Johnny. It's off the Motorhead's first album. And it's a perfect example of a precursor to the new wave British heavy metal ever. A lot of people like to consider Lemmy metal, but Lemmy said it himself, he's just rock and roll. People tried to put him in this pedestal that he never really wanted. He's just a guy trying to rock out and drink. That's all Lemmy wanted and play his bass really loud. I can relate to that. Now let's get into Motorhead, his new project featuring, uh, we mentioned before, Fast Eddie Clark and Phil, and Phil the Filthy Animal Taylor. Uh, they were an English rock band formed in 1975 by, of course, former Hawkwind singer and bass player Lemmy. Motorhead had a very punk rock friendly sound. As a band, as where many metal bands tried to get away from punk rock, tried to separate themselves, they wanted to draw that, drive that wedge away from them for probably pretty good reason. Lemmy always embraced punk rock and kept his music down to that simple rock and roll feel, loud and obnoxious. Uh, there are, despite Motorhead not being a metal band, there's no question about it, they pretty much inspired every metal band from this point on. 
you could say, overkill, named themselves after one of Motorhead's more popular albums at the time, Overkill. I'm sure they resisted this in every way, but Motorhead became a very mainstream band, whether they liked it or not. They lived the rock and roll lifestyle, and they were the symbols of that. I remember seeing Lemmy and Motorhead for the first time on Headbangers Ball in my youth, maybe around when I was 12 years old. Seeing him around all the younger bands at the time, like Metallica and Slayer and Anthrax, I was always like, who is this old guy? I never really understood Lemmy and why they had this old guy hanging around. Now I understand. He was always that guy with the thing on his face, that ugly dude that looked like a witch. But now we understand what Lemmy was and what Motorhead was and what they did for metal and how they really launched the next era of metal, the New Wave British Heavy Metal era, which would follow the formation of Motorhead and Judas Priest. And now more about this song, Lost Johnny. This, of course, was a Hawkwind song that Lemmy decided to use. Uh, it's a pretty heavy and ridiculously noisy song for 1975. Uh, there's no questioning on why this would not power an entire genre of music and influence a bunch of kids sitting around smoking weed and listening to records to form their own bands. It seems so accessible, this Motorhead sound. Three guys making a lot of noise, destroying shit. That's what Motorhead was. And unfortunately, those three guys that made this album are all, are all not with us anymore. Uh, that's what happens when you live a lifestyle like they did. It eventually gets you. But hey, they are considered them martyrs in metal. They had to do it, so you don't have to. So we appreciate the sacrifice of Motorhead and everything they did for metal. Live on Motorhead. There will be giant statues erected to all the members of Motorhead one day when Maledictus becomes your king. Now we come to what the theme of this podcast is. We finally made it. I know I my comp my my diet my monologue here and all of my explanations are very convoluted. Perhaps I talk in circles sometimes, but I have to give you everything in my head and sometimes you know, that doesn't happen in a straight line. But now we finally made it. I'm never going to get right to the point. I, I've got to just give you as much information as possible, whether you understand it or care to understand it. I have to tell you, it's in my head, and it's therapy for me to share it with you. So here we go. This, These next few bands are the core of the new wave British heavy metal scene. Um, some would be a major influence on, on the major bands we have today and others would rise to be legends themselves. Some would keep old traditions going and pass them on to the next generation, and others would criminally fade into obscurity. And we have an example of bands that meet all of those criteria. Of course, we're starting here with probably the most well-known band of that era, which is Diamond Head. And this is their song Helpless from the Lightning to the Nations album. As you know, Diamond Head has been immortalized by bands like Metallica and Megadeth as one of the most major influences in their sound. And one might say Diamond Head really represents the genre of speed metal that inspired bands like Metallica and Megadeth. They were formed in 1976, and you could say they really helped bring the sound into the next stage that would influence genres of thrash metal. This song was, of course, is one of their more famous songs because it was played on the Garage Days Re-Revisited EP. So Metallica always gave 
this band credit and mention and name drop them a lot and covering many of their songs on many of their various singles. This was one of those bands that really fell through the cracks. They never really made it big. However, they are still playing today with original guitar player Brian Tatler. I mean, his styles are, of course, as influential as any other guitar player during this era. For some reason, Diamond Head just slipped through the cracks. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for Metallica or similar bands that made it huge, I think Diamond Head would have just disappeared in the annals of history. But fortunately, we still have them, we still know them, and we celebrate what they've done for this era and for future genres of metal. So Diamond Head lives on. This next song is by a band called Witchfinder General. The song is called Free Country from the Death Penalty album. And Witchfinder General is a typical band in the new wave British heavy metal era that set the road, that paved the road, that trailblazed the road for the doom genre. Now, bands like Witchfinder General and Sirith Ungle and Pagan Altar that can really take the credit for doing that. Some might say, oh, what about Black Sabbath? Well, Black Sabbath, you could say they turned off this road, they exited this road and became more of a hard rock band around this time. They were with Dio at the time and the music got a little less doom by then. It was a different, it was still a great band, but they sort of abandoned this road and left it to bands like this to continue the sound. And bands such as Witchfinder General would really pave the way for bands like St. Vitus and The Obsessed and Candlemas and Cathedral. And of course the, the sprouting doom scene of the 90s and today. It's a genre that really only got stronger as time went on. It was a very slow movement. And it never got huge. It never got as huge as Black Sabbath, but it's always been there and it's always been on the underground and it's probably a favorite genre of many people that are into metal. Now, Witchfinder General, of course, takes her name from the Vincent Price movie about Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General, which we're going to do a podcast on, believe it or not. Witchfinder General is from a place called Stourbridge, England, and they were formed in 1979 by a guy named Zeb Parks and Phil Cope. These sound like a bunch of blokes from the country, and I like to sing about witches and evil things, and this particular song, Free Country, is about uh, experimenting in drugs. It's a very interesting song. I like the words to this song. I think it's a pretty cool tune. Uh, but Witchfinder General was a very short-lived band with only about two or three albums, but their influence in today's doom metal is undeniable, and they are still revered today as one of the pioneers of the doom genre during the new wave of British heavy metal era. This next band is a very different kind of band in the new wave British heavy metal era. These guys are from America, they're called Riot, and this is their song Road Racer from the Narita album. Riot can be one of those bands that might have inspired the hair metal genre more than any others. They have a very unique sound, a very Thin Lizzy-esque sound. This is would be an example of earlier Riot. Riot was a band that might have fell through the cracks. They truly were an amazing band, and I admit I just heard of them fairly recently, and I couldn't believe such a good band, such a talented band from New York City, fell through the cracks. And once again, they are a new wave British heavy metal band. They're in that era, and they're from America. They're from New York City. 
vocalist uh, Guy Speranza. That's that's the kind of guy from New York City. Guy Speranza uh, helped form the band along with guitarist Mark Real and drummer Peter Batelli. Well, I believe I've heard that name before. I have to look that up. However, this band, you could hear the New York in their sound. They might even have some of that New York glam style, sort of like a New York Dolls sort of thing going on there. But nevertheless, they do fit all of the criteria of new wave of British heavy metal. And this is a band that never really made the mainstream for some reason, despite such uh, an aggressive sound. It's such a fun sound. I'd say this band is trying to have a lot more fun than your average metal band during that era. They're happy, they're having a good time, and they would set the road, they would pave the road for glam and hair metal of the 80s. They, you could say they might be responsible for bands like Motley Crue and Poison. Riot is a band that would go on to obscurity. Their current incarnation is actually called Riot 5 for some legal reasons. This is a band that mustn't be forgotten for all they did for the genre and for music, good and bad. I mean, some of you might hate the hair metal genre that came from new wave British heavy metal, but there are some gems in hair metal. I think uh, Motley Crue's first record is a brilliant album. Some might even call this genre of music power metal, which is a very specific uh, genre that came out of new wave British heavy metal. I think we have to look more into the use of the word power metal, as I'm so interested in categorizing bands. It's why I'm here, really. I'm here to put bands in their baskets, and that's going to be represented in my great metal shrub. My great metal undergrowth shrub model. Uh, this, like I've mentioned this before, I originally said it was going to be a tree, but now I realize it's going to be more of a shrub of undergrowth of different branches and roots uh, growing into each other throughout from the dirt. It's not going to rise tall like a tree. Instead, it's going to sort of grow sideways and not too tall like a tree. It's going to be really a bunch of weeds that you'd want to cut the great metal shrub. And that's what I'm designing here. And I'm going to post my progress on social media as I come up with this. This next song is titled Angel of Death by the band Angel Witch from their debut album titled Angel Witch. This is a band that was formed by vocalist and guitar player Kevin Hayborn, uh, originally as the band Lucifer, which they changed the band's name to Angel Witch eventually. That of course happened so that the present day German doom band by the same name could use that name. That was the reason why. Now Angel Witch as a band from the new wave British heavy metal era never achieved mainstream status, like many of them. However, like many of the bands that were popular at that time, they were heavily name-dropped by all of the legendary metal bands today, such as Megadeth and Metallica. As a band with such Satan-esque themes, Angel Witch would inspire not only thrash bands to follow, but Doom as well as Death Metal. Angel Witch can be considered true heroes of the underground. Angel Witch represented the official metal for the Mothers, powered by the strong underground culture that thrived beneath the feet of the bands that would become epic legends such as Judas Priest and Iron Maiden in the future. Astonishingly, Angel Witch is a band that still exists today, releasing a new album as recent as 2012. They still tour today and still thrive today and are still respected today. 
So they are keeping the dream alive, and we praise them. Angel Witch, the most obscure legends of metal you might ever hear. This next band obviously needs no introduction. This, of course, is the immortal Iron Maiden with their song Charlotte the Harlot from their debut album titled Iron Maiden. This is a band that exists in a form today larger than any other metal band ever has achieved, and that includes your Metallicas and your other zillionaire bands. This is a band that flies around in a 747 from show to show and country to country, piloted by their singer. I don't know of any bands that can beat that. Bruce Dickinson, their vocalist since the Number of the Beast album, uh, he's the guy that made them into a true standard just metal band. Perhaps one might say an elevation from their time in their new wave British heavy metal days as a band with a more punk rock and accessible sound like the one you're hearing now where the band was fronted by uh, Paul Diano who was a much more simple and punk rock style singer. Bruce Dickinson of course was never into that sound. He hates punk rock music. I understand where he's coming from. I don't agree with him. However, he has a different take on music. He's kind of more of a music snob. He comes from more of a prog rock background. But let's get into the formation of this legendary band that has inspired all metal forever. I don't want to put these guys on a pedestal, but they don't deserve a pedestal. They deserve an entire massive Statue of Liberty-sized monument. There's no question about it. Iron Maiden is one of the most important bands in all of music, and I think there's few people that will disagree with that. Iron Maiden was formed in 1975 by other legendary member, Steve Harris, one of the greatest bass sounds in all of metal, and one of the greatest bass styles. It started in, of course, the new wave British heavy metal scene, where they achieved pretty immediate success. You could say Iron Maiden tried their luck at being an MTV band and they were rather successful. They had a number of successful videos. It would really be all uphill from there on, maybe until the 90s when they lost Bruce Dickinson and replaced him with Blaze Bailey. I think that might have been a point for any metal band, really. There were very few metal bands that made it into the 90s in one piece. However, after the 90s ended and all of the Generation Xers grew up and had families and had money, there was a huge resurgence in classic metal as all of the metal fans, all the metal fans that were young during this era were all grown up now and had money. The natural result was they wanted their music back and Iron Maiden and Judas Priest capitalized on that and now they fly around in a 747 and tour the entire world to sold out stadiums. This is Iron Maiden. This next band is the band that put the evil in heavy metal. This is the band that started the satanic panic. This is the band that made your parents terrified of this music. This of course is Venom with Welcome to Hell from the Welcome to Hell album, which was their first album. Venom is a band that inspired the genre of extreme metal to death metal, to black metal. In fact, Venom might very well be considered the first black metal band. Their album that really coined the term black metal, their second album titled Black Metal, might very well be responsible for the genre of black metal that was made very popular in Norway uh, many years from the formation of Venom. They basically worshipped this sound 
it started with bands like Celtic Frost, Hellhammer, Celtic Frost, and it led to, it was a European thing. For some reason, the mainland Europeans took this sound very seriously, even though Venom were really just a bunch of drunken British guys from a terrible place in England called Newcastle. There's no doubt about it that Venom had the most evil sound in new wave British heavy metal at the time. One could compare them to Motorhead, but they're far more evil. They're not singing about sex and drugs, they're singing about Satan. And few bands could really live up to that level at the time. I think most bands were scared to go there around the late 70s. Venom had no problem doing it. Uh, they certainly were not mainstream. It, it was very difficult for a band like this to even get close to their... Regardless, their influence on metal bands to come, especially thrash metal, uh, who took to Ven who took the Venom sound very seriously and it influenced them a great deal, up to, like I mentioned before, the formation of black metal. This next group of bands uh, could be considered the ultimate result of all of the music we explored previously. These bands are considered the high watermark of the new wave British heavy metal era and would shape all metal to come forever. This of course is No Remorse by Metallica from the Kill em All album. Uh, many people think Metallica is thrash music. I see constant references to bands like Metallica identifying them as thrashers and I think Metallica seems to agree with it. However, I think they're all wrong. Metallica is not thrash. I don't think these music critics understand the meaning of thrash. This is speed metal. This takes place during the last days of a new wave British heavy metal era. Metallica is a band that's directly influenced by bands such as Diamond Head and Motorhead. This album had much better production than most of the new wave British heavy metal bands and came to the scene like dynamite. It really did. It really exploded the scene and really moved metal into the next stage. And you could say Metallica helped launch thrash, but however, Metallica was not a thrash band. A perfect example of a thrash band of the time would be Exodus or Anthrax. They have that street, smart, rough, dirty, big sneakered sound. I think thrash is a very urban movement, and I don't think Metallica is really that urban. We are going to do an episode on East Coast and West Coast thrash, and we will, of course, explain Metallica's influence in that genre. However, Metallica is not thrash, and I am going to argue that until the end. You guys could write in herelivesmetal at gmail.com, herelivesmetal at Twitter. Tell me what you think about this. I know there will be a lot of people disagreeing, a lot of perhaps other musicologists disagreeing on me, and we can debate this topic to the end. But let's get into who Metallica is. Obviously, you know, Metallica was formed by James Hetfield and Lars Ehrlich in Norwalk, California in 1981. As the decades went on, Metallica grew and evolved to be one of the most influential bands in all of metal and perhaps all of music, progressing from a group of dirty drunks to perhaps the most mainstream metal band ever to exist. However, this universal fame took a long time. It took nearly 30 years. In 1982 or 83, when Metallica had released the Kill Em All album, it took the middle world by storm. However, that only went as far as the underground could go. Over the years, Metallica would become somewhat of superstars within the more underground metal scene throughout the 80s. It wasn't until the late 80s in 1988 when they released their Justice For All album which is um, a very 
interesting album in the course of metal, and we'll do an episode specifically on that particular album. It was in 1988 that Metallica discovered MTV, or vice versa, and perhaps reluctantly embraced MTV. This would, of course, begin the official rise of Metallica to be mainstream superstars, even though they were quite well known in the metal world throughout the 1980s. The 90s would be the time when Metallica would be probably the largest band in, a, in an era throughout the 90s where most, most of the mainstream metal bands were falling apart, such as Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. They had both lost their frontmen. Basically, it was a very bleak time for metal in the 1990s. Metallica, however, didn't seem to have a problem. Existing today as one of the richest bands in metal history without their own jetliner, Metallica might be viewed as perhaps the new Led Zeppelin. All right, think about it. Led Zeppelin only lasted about 10 years. Metallica is going on 40 years. Uh, they deserve a legendary status like Led Zeppelin or possibly even the Beatles. Okay, send your hate mail. Go. We, we've got to give Metallica credit for really shaping for one of the few bands that really had the most impact on metal, whether you could stand them or not. Hey, if you can't stand Lady Gaga, I'm sure it's going to get worse. This next band, of course, is Merciful Fate with their song Evil from the Melissa album. Now, these guys uh, formed also at the end of the era. They had been around during the era, but they didn't release their first album until the very end. So I'm going to put them in the same boat as Metallica as being the ultimate result of new wave British heavy metal. Along with Venom, Merciful Fate would set the new dark tone and establish a foundation to the new genre of extreme metal to come in both Europe and America. Obviously with songs featuring satanic and blasphemous themes which made them so controversial in the metal scene. There's no doubt about it. King Diamond leading the band Merciful Fate would influence all of the evil to come and all of the satanic panic to come. King Diamond would eventually go on to form his solo project, King Diamond, occasionally going on and off with Merciful Fate, but they really haven't done Merciful Fate in a while. And I really like to see King Diamond do Merciful Fate again. I've never really been a fan of King Diamond's solo. The songs have always been a little too epic and convoluted for me, and they, they, they're a little bit glittery, whereas Merciful Fate has that down-to-earth, grassroots, uh, simple punk rock sound where King Diamond actually came from. He was previously in a band called The Brats, a Danish punk rock band, so he has roots in punk rock, and you can hear it in the sound of early Merciful Fate. I started listening to Merciful Fate, I guess, when I was in high school, and they definitely struck a nerve with me. As I was regressing from my Metallica worship, Merciful Fate moved me to the next level. I might credit Merciful Fate for introducing me into an entire new world of extreme metal. Before I discovered Merciful Fate, I only knew bands, the typical bands, Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth, and I liked bands like that. I was into metal, but Merciful Fate was a point of graduation. It was, we were gonna leave the kids' stuff behind, and we were going into the real scary realms of metal, and I haven't turned back. Thank you, King Diamond. I find it funny how even King Diamond, the along with many of his peers in metal. He's also looked upon as sort of a mainstream, regular guy. 
that isn't really a Satan worshiper these days, it's because the Gen Xers have grown up and now they're parents and they're like, hey, King Diamond's not that bad. He's just a regular guy like you and me, just like everyone else. It's all just a show. I was debating to add this next song to the list. However, I realized that these guys released this album in 1983 at the same time Metallica released Kill Em All, so I figured these guys were legit. This, of course, is Slayer with Antichrist from the Show No Mercy album. Slayer, of course, was formed in Huntington Park, California in 1981 and released their first album soon after. Uh, it was Kerry King and the late Jeff Hanneman that started this band. Upon Slayer's early beginnings, they, they hit the scene more of a cover band playing traditional metal songs from Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, like many bands at the time. Slayer, of course, moved on to be one of the most irregular and frightening sounds in all of mainstream metal. With a guy like Dave Lombardo on the drums, how can you go wrong? Uh, this guy is one of the most recognizable drummers in the entire genre of metal. I mean, if you have this fantasy that Lars Arlick is a good drummer, uh, if you put him next to Dave Lombardo, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, actually. Combine that with Tom Mariah's ferocious lyrics that he tries to fit way too many into a verse, and you have the Slayer sound, and add a lot of satanic imagery, pentagrams, and upside-down crosses, and you have a lot of frightened parents. Slayer would go on to be one of the big four bands, one of the most mainstream uh, groups of bands in all of metal. Bands like Venom, who were just as evil if not more evil-sounding than Slayer, never made it so far. I wonder what it was that allowed Slayer to surpass all that. Maybe they really were just normal guys, whereas Venom tried too hard, I wonder. Now, Slayer finds their roots in speed metal, but they were really one of the first thrash bands, and one of the most dark and evil thrash bands at that. Slayer is also not afraid to combine the sounds of hardcore punk with metal, whereas other bands might have tried to avoid that sort of thing. As the winner of two Grammy Awards for Best Metal Performance, uh, Slayer has something that I think most satanically themed metal bands can't match. Nevertheless, Slayer can be given credit for the eventual formation of American death metal and other extreme forms of metal. I've always believed that Slayer lived at the final frontier of all speed metal and thrash acts, where the other more standard thrash and speed metal acts such as Metallica or Megadeth or Anthrax were more in the middle and more status quo when it came to that sound. It also might be a well-known fact that there are no other bands in metal that actually caused their own fans to carve the band name into their arms with a razor blade. But no matter how normalized and how old Slayer has gotten, their fans have not gotten any, gotten any less fanatic or violent. Let them keep on slaying. After the new wave British heavy metal era came to an end and metal progressed into more specific genres like thrash, doom, glam, death, bands like Metallica would ultimately pay homage to their direct roots. With an EP called Garage Days Re Revisited, they introduced their fans to a group of songs by bands they most likely never heard of. They may have been the first step in the revival of the unique sounds of those formative years in the epic we call metal. In today's metal era, many bands disillusioned by today's core-based sounds where extreme is now the mainstream 
More and more bands from around the world are seeking to reproduce sounds and styles and even themes of their forefathers. In the contemporary metal scene today, there are a number of bands that faithfully capture the sounds, the classic sounds of doom, thrash, and hardcore, among others. Naturally, a few bands from Sweden might want to try their hands at the speed metal sound circa 1979. Of course, Sweden with their retro, the, the retro experts we call the Swedish, they're the best at it. The next group of bands represent the bands that have formed in the past 10 years that have an uncanny resemblance to their forefathers uh, many generations ago. And let's start this last part of the playlist. This next band is called Enforcer with the song Destroyer from the Far Beyond album. This is a Swedish revivalist band just doing what every other Swedish band is doing and that's paying their respects to the pantheon of mostly dead elder metal gods. Capturing the sounds of the more hair metal influenced bands of the era such as Riot, Anvil, and Exciter, uh, Enforcer was formed in the early part of the century, making them one of the revisionists, uh, the new wave of new wave of British heavy metal bands, or the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Uh, they are going for the speed metal genre, I would say. It's pretty aggressive, it's pretty loud, it's pretty ridiculous. It's not old school, it's timeless metal. I think Enforcer is capturing that well, not only in their music and lyrics, but even their artwork has that retro uh, sort of action movie theme, that sort of low-budget action movie theme of the 80s. Definitely a band worth checking out today. They're keeping the flame alive and they're doing it well. Some people might say, hey, why don't you guys make something new? A lot of the mainstream metal today is just pretty awful the episodes that we have a long way to go and we have a lot more room to progress. However, I don't feel like it's happening exactly right now and right now for new music I'm relying on bands such as Enforcer with a tremendous talent and accuracy. I I'm okay with bands like this. It's great to hear bands like this and we're going to cover a few more. This next band goes by the name of Midnight with the song Rip This Hell from the Satanic Royalty album. This song formed, this is a band formed in this century, so they qualify as the next wave of new wave British heavy metal. Well, these guys are from Cleveland, Ohio, which, if, which is the, I like to consider the real home of metal these days. Uh, the uh, heart of metal beats in Cleveland. You could find influence and their sound in Venom, and they're doing it well. Straight from Cleveland, Ohio, not some European band, not some Swedish band. These guys are really good. They're capturing the evil side of new wave British heavy metal, and they're doing it well. If you've ever seen or get to see Midnight at a show, they come out covered in hoods with leather jackets and bullet belts and uh, shuriken, like they're ready for some 80s action film, as if they're some sort of villain, some dark satanic villain from some 80s action film that we were all scared of when we were kids. Really awesome sight. Check these guys out. I think if you're looking for metal, it's in Cleveland, believe it or not and Clifton, New Jersey. Midnight with Rip This Hell from the Satanic Royalty album, regurgitating the old evil sound, the original evil sound in a great way, Midnight. This next band is called Night Demon. And as you can see from that intro, you can hear 
core new wave British heavy metal bands in that. This song is called Screams of the Night. It is from their album titled Curse of the Damned. Uh, there is a lot of Diamond Headed and Angel Witch in this sound. It basically goes back to the roots of new wave British heavy metal more accurately than anyone else. This is a California-based trio that faithfully recreates that sound, such as Diamond Head. Uh, I can't say I blame these guys in playing, you know, your dad's metal, when everything on the mainstream radio is essentially influenced by emo music of 15 years ago. This is where the sound is going. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that we have to keep reaching back into our past to make metal good, but with the stuff that's coming up today, I don't really know what to do. This band, of course, was formed pretty recently in California, and I've got to give them credit for taking this direction. Uh, where else do you go at this point? Uh, this is a band that, of course, is not in the mainstream. In fact, I don't even have a Wikipedia page. I am going on the Encyclopedia Metallium, the place to go to find, uh, I think, every metal band ever made. Even my band is on Encyclopedia Metallium. Uh, the, the band I formed in high school called Holy Anima, they have a record of us. Somehow, I don't know how, but they do. So if you want information on any obscure, unheard of metal band, the Encyclopedia Metallium is the place to go. Whoever is running this site is the true master and record keeper of all metal. However, Night Demon is one of those bands I stumbled upon in my constant search for new and interesting metal. Uh, the artwork on, on their record, titled Curse of the Damned, has almost that 80s horror movie looking cover with a man with an axe looking over a satanic book, contemplating and scheming some sort of a ritual murder. If Night Demon were around 30 years earlier, they would have most certainly made the list in the last episode for sure, perhaps even inspiring their own murderer. But anyway, it's great that bands such as Night Demon and Enforcer and Midnight are continuing this tradition and this sound and all of the great things that happened during the era of new wave of British heavy metal. For it was the starting point of everything we have in metal today, both good and bad. And I'm delighted to honor all of them with this playlist. So that wraps up our playlist for this episode. We shall bring you more specifically themed playlists in the future. But, but thank you once again for listening and stay tuned. And that wraps up our playlist. And once again, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on social media, including Twitter at Here Lies Metal, Facebook at Here Lies Metal, Instagram at Metal Lies Here, and Gmail, Here Lies Metal at gmail.com. Um, give us a shout out. Tell us how you feel about this. Uh, give us your opinions. Tell us what you want to hear about. Um, if you don't agree with something I said, please tell me. Say you hate me. Say you love me. Give me something. Interact with us, and I will get back to you. Um, once again, it is my passion to bring you, the listener, these tales in the history of metal. However, if you'd like to support this podcast, uh, your donations are highly appreciated. You can find me at Patreon uh, forward slash Lives Metal. If you want to just give us a quarter or a dollar or anything, uh, it'll be much appreciated. And that is the podcast for today. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week. We will do something, but... Uh, give us a shout out and tell everyone about us since we're just starting up. Uh, I have a lot of information regarding metal for you, the listener. If you want to learn something ridiculous and useless about metal, I'm your man, Maledictus, and I will keep doing this show because I have apparently nothing else to do, and I like to talk about metal, and you like to hear about metal. 
So keep on listening and keep on telling everyone. Keep spreading the story of metal. This is only the beginning, so let's keep this thing going. I wish you all a good week.